I'm going to kick off tonight with a new series, and this series that we're going to be covering over the next four Wednesdays that we're doing teaching together or preaching is called Thrive in the Wild. Everybody say Thrive in the Wild. And, and the, the big idea, what we're going to be talking about in this series is that, that students, you and I, I'm not a student, but just for the sake of the conversation, we live in a world that feels increasingly like a foreign environment to what we might be used to, just like the wild. And so as Christians, we are called not only to just survive this life and hopefully one day get to heaven, but we are called to thrive in the wilderness that we are a part of today. And so in this series, we're going to look at the book of Daniel and see how God used Daniel and his friends to make a difference in the wild. And this message tonight is going to be based around unity, but here's the bottom line. I'm going to give you the punchline right now and then go through the rest of this message. When we stand together, God stands with us. I want you to say that to your neighbor. When we stand together, God stands with us. Now, you may have heard this story before, but while hiking in southeastern Utah, Aaron Ralston had a life-changing incident. He fell down a ravine, and he had his arm lodged under a boulder, and he was stuck there for 127 hours. How many have heard this story before? No? Well, I'm giving you the details tonight. Now, to survive this situation, he had to eventually, and pardon the gruesome content of the message tonight, but he eventually had to cut his own arm off just so he could climb to freedom. Now, his biggest problem was not the boulder that was on his arm. His biggest problem is that he went climbing alone. Nobody knew where he was, and while this was going on for 127 hours, nobody knew that he was in trouble except for him. And so we're going to talk about how we can thrive in unity and thrive in this wild by staying together with others. Anybody ever been lost before? Raise your hand if you've ever been lost. And I'm not talking about like you got, you got lost in, in Walmart. Like I'm talking about like lost, lost. Did you cry? <laughs> yes! Talk to me after! I... Uh, <clears throat> I'm not, you know, if you have, like, childhood trauma from, like, losing your parents in the mall, I'm not, I'm not, like, discrediting that. I'm just talking about, like, you probably weren't gonna die, you know? Like, there's lots of food in Walmart. You would have made it. Um, I, got, I got lost one time. Probably told this story. But uh, I was in Ripples. Anybody ever been to Ripples? There's people laughing. It's like, Ripples? How'd you get lost in Ripples? It's one road. A couple people been to Ripples. Uh, so we were, we were fishing, and, and when you don't know about the place you're in, you ask all the old people about fishing, right? So we went to the only gas station and we went inside and we asked the only guy that looked old where he used to go fishing. And, you know, well, if you go in two third turns and left and, and then there's a brook and the beaver dam and, you know, he just, we didn't know. So he, we pretended, you know, we know, yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. And then when we left, we had no idea what he said, but we came to this body of water and we just said, okay, fish water, him tell us go this way. We're going to do it, right? So, so we, it was me, 
Pastor Justin, I think, was there. I got some crazy stories with him. Shane, Pastor Matt was there, a couple other people. And uh, we started hiking up this stream. And, like, it's just a stream. I want to be very clear. Like, it's not a river. It's not a lake. It's not some crazy body. It's just a very small stream. But, but somewhere along the way as we were hiking up, there was, like, no fish. It was, like, I don't know, maybe up to your waist. It wasn't very deep. But somewhere along the way, the, the stream split. And so three of us went one way and three of us went another And then, you know, the natural thing to do if you're following a body of water is just to go back down the body of water. But there was a split after the split. And so, like, we didn't know that. And then we all got lost and we all got soaked because we had to walk through the water. And, like, it wasn't scary. It was only for, like, 40 minutes. We didn't starve. We weren't thirsty. But we were lost. Anticlimactic, I know. Yeah, I think we had to throw out our shoes because they were so wet. But, but being lost is not a good feeling. It's, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Nobody likes to get lost, and really, you, like, nobody gets lost around the familiar. It's when you step into unfamiliar territory that you can get lost. Now, if you get lost in familiar territory, that might be a problem. You know, if you get lost going home every Wednesday after youth, that's a little bit perplexing. Moving on. Now... In this series called Thrive, Thriving in the Wild, it's, it goes without saying, and I, I really don't have to push or talk to you about this point a whole lot, but the wild is the culture that, we, that which we live in today. The world is crazy, and you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Pentecostal. You don't have to be anybody from anywhere to realize that the world is going crazy in a lot of ways. It doesn't matter your religious background or your socioeconomic status. You can look at what is going on in our world and say, you know what? This is just weird. You ever heard something about what's going on in our world or how they're labeling things or talking about things and you just thought to yourself, this just doesn't make any sense? Just me? Samuel, a couple people, it just doesn't make sense sometimes what's going on in our world. And we could name subject after subject, uh, issue after issue, and political topic after political topic, but the point is that there are some crazy, wild things going on in the world that we live in today. And we can try to be ignorant to it, we can try to skip around it or look past it, but the reality is that you and I live in a crazy world. And we're not the first people to live for God in the middle of a wild culture. And so in this series, we're going to talk about some young men who faced many of the same problems that we all face today. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, if you've got your Bible, it says this. It says, during the third year, of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem. He besieged it, and the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3. <laughs> then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. And he said, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. I just want to let you know, some of you would not have made the cut. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I like that. I like that. I don't like talking back in church, but that was pretty funny. You wouldn't either, man. Just kidding. Uh, he said, 
He said, make sure they are healthy, strong, and good-looking. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. And so, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, your first day at a new school can be pretty awkward. How many transition from one school to another this year? Okay. These are like, let me, let me, before we, you know, we got like 22 minutes left together. I'm just going to lay the baseline here for a second. Nonverbal answers only. <laughs> Nonverbal answers only, okay? And body language can only be expressed like this. You guys good? Do you need a minute to laugh it out or? You good now? All right. Let's, let's hold it together, okay? I, I appreciate you guys being in, involved and connected, but I do need you to quiet down a little bit. So, so these guys, essentially, they're, they're going to their, their first day of school, and it's a little bit awkward. And, and there's a lot to be nervous about uh, when you're going to a new school. I can still remember today uh, when I went to Leo Hayes. It was the first day of ninth grade. And, like, I don't know why. I don't know what time I got up. I don't know how nervous I was. But what I do remember is I was the first person in the entire school for some reason. But I And you had to, like... Uh, go to the back of the school to the left where the gym was and it showed like the classroom for your homeroom. So like I go there and I'm kind of waiting to see who else shows up. And I can still remember the first person that showed up. They were not my friend. Like I'm not saying we were enemies, but like we didn't really have any social connection. We knew who we were. We went to the same middle school together, but he was in French immersion. I was not. We just kind of knew each other very, very casually. But in that moment, because I was the only person there and nobody else was around and I was so nervous to go to high school. I was very nervous to go to high school. I was like, man, am I glad to see you? And his name was uh, Matt Carter. And uh, Matt, if you're watching this, God bless you. Thank you for being there that day. He's probably not watching. But I remember who it was. I remember his name. We were not friends. But in that moment, just a familiar face to me was good enough to get beyond the awkwardness of being at a new school. The reason I was scared of high school is because, like, when I was a kid, uh, I, I saw this movie, and when this kid went to high school, it was called Pay It Forward. I don't even remember it, but, like, kid gets stabbed in high school, and I thought everybody in high school carried knives. Like, I thought everybody just, like, stabbed each other when you got there, right? It was so weird. I was, I'm being serious. I was so terrified. And if that's a bad movie, I was like, I was like, hey, I didn't watch it. I just happened to be there for the, for the stabbing scene, I guess. Awkward. Back on subject. You probably remember some things from your first day at school. Now, the Bible tells us about four teenagers who had this very awkward first day of school. Their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they were in a new school, not because they graduated, not because their parents moved cities. It had nothing to do with that. They were living in a new city. They were living in Babylon because the people of Babylon had conquered their city. And so because of this, Daniel and the three other young men were moved to a new place to go to school. And Babylon was very, very different from Jerusalem where they had grown up. It was totally different than what they were used to. There was different music, there was different customs, and there was even different styles of study and subjects. 
Instead of the law of Moses, they were made to study magic and divination. And instead of learning about monotheism, which is there is only one God, they were taught polytheism, meaning there are many gods. And they were undoubtedly taught about things like human sacrifice and sensuality. And this is what many of you deal with today. It's really not a whole lot different than what you encounter in your schools and what you encounter in the culture of what you are a part of. We deal with the same things today. Teenagers, you young people, are exposed to many different ideas that are not consistent with Christian principles that are found in the Bible. And, and it's uncomfortable when you believe and have grown up in one thing and then all of a sudden you are being forced to entertain things that you don't believe in and that you don't agree with, it becomes awkward. And so here they are. They're taken from their city. They're put in this new school with new people being taught new things that they don't even agree with. It's an uncomfortable place for them to be. Now, the king... King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he had some desires that he wanted. He had some things that he desired regarding these Hebrew teenagers. Number one, he wanted to claim them. King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he wanted to claim their lives for himself. Culture wants to claim the life of every student for its own. Hear me tonight. Culture wants to take your life and turn it into what it is saying should be right and taking it away from what they feel is wrong. That's the impact that culture has. It's a silent killer. You don't even see it happening because you are in it and you become ingrained in it. And then all of a sudden it begins to overcome and overtake how you live and how you think. And then one day you get so far down the line, you say, how did I even get here? How did I get here? What am I doing in this place? But culture sweeps in and tries to claim every single young person. And there is one thing that both God and the devil agree on. And it is the value that you have in their kingdom. God understands the value that you have in his kingdom. If you choose to live wholeheartedly for the Lord, you are going to add value. You are going to preach the word to people. You are going to see souls come to know Jesus. You are going to make a difference in your friends, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, and in your community. But the devil, he also knows that if he can get you in his kingdom, if he can get you believing what he wants you to believe, if he can get you to take part in what he wants you to take part of, that you are no longer building the kingdom of God, but you are building his kingdom. And so that's what's going on in Babylon with these four young men. Culture comes in and King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he tries to claim them for his own. And secondly, culture was trying to tame them. Culture wants to tame us. Culture wants to tame you. It wants to tame me. Satan, he wants to come in and diminish the God-given potential and purpose in your life so that you will never live up to the potential that God has placed in you. Look at your neighbor say, you've got potential. Regardless of whether you believe it, regardless of whether you fully understand it, God has put something deep down on the inside of you that can impact your world if you would just step into it. 
If you would just walk in it, if you would just live in that potential, you will literally change the lives of many people in your lifetime. But Satan and culture, they come in and they try to take that away. They try to diminish it. They try to push it below the surface so that you can't get access to it anymore. Anybody ever been to a zoo before? You've been to a zoo? We were to a zoo recently. And um, you see those, those animals that, you know, it's kind of sad. They, they really don't belong in cages. And, and you see them in cages and like, if we're being honest, they just look depressed a lot of the times, you know, like we were, we were at the, the zoo in Indiana or Kentucky, wherever it was. And, um, and it's like, there's like this gorilla and it's just like, you know, there's like a, a wall or some sort of gap between us, but it's just like sitting on this rock, staring at us. And it was like staring into the soul of somebody that was like, just so destitute and unhappy. And that's because wild animals like that are not meant to be tamed giraffes and elephants and gorillas and lions and whatever other animals you want to talk about, they are not made just to live in these cages and in these boxes, but people can find them. And when they can find them, all of a sudden they begin to take away their identity. They don't act like they're supposed to act anymore. It's like the lions and the tigers and the bears, they're just waiting for somebody to feed them. They don't even know how to catch food. They don't even know how to get it, go out and, and kill something. Then that struggle to survive, they become so tamed because they're put in this box, and all of a sudden they begin to lose the nature that they were born with. And so Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, and culture, they try to claim them, then they try to tame them, and lastly, they try to name them. Now, look at how culture tried to change their identities to what they wanted them to be. Daniel, his name meant, God is my judge. And they changed his name to Belteshazzar, which means lady, protect the king. Like, listen to this. This doesn't even make sense. Daniel is a man, and his name is God is my judge. And they changed it to lady, comma, protect the king. It makes no sense, but it's bringing in this idea of gender confusion and changing his name from a God focus to a man focus. So they go in, they claim them, they tame them, and then they begin to twist their names and what they actually mean. Hananiah, his name meant Yahweh has been gracious, and they changed it to Shadrach, the name that you're probably more familiar with, which means I am fearful of God. So it is, it is Yahweh has been gracious to I am fearful of God. So it goes from a focus of God being good to God being bad, and it creates a confusion of God's character. Mishael, we know as Meshach, it means who is what God is. And Meshach, it means I'm despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So they took his name, what meant a man of confidence in God, and they took it to an identity of being a coward, confusion of the identity of God's children. And lastly, Azariah, we know as Abednego, his name was Yahweh has helped me, and they changed it to servant of Nebo. So literally, it took it from a transition from being a son to being a slave. And so these names, they, they changed their names from God-given, very nice, very righteous names to thing that literally, things that literally pulled down and took away from their heritage, from what they had grown up in, from who they had been known as forever. 
They claimed them, they tamed them, and then they named them. And I can tell you this today, that even though culture desired to claim, tame, and name these teenagers, God had a bigger purpose. God wanted to use them to change the culture in which they were living, not let their culture change them and how they live going forward. And so God, he would give them the strength not just to survive this wild, but God's desire was for them not just to struggle, not just to make it through Babylon and and one day when they die, spend eternity in heaven. That's not what they wanted. That's not what God wanted. God said, you know what? I'm going to give you more than just strength to to survive, but you're going to thrive. And so we have to understand this. We are in the wild for a purpose. We are in this world today for a purpose. Each and every one of us. There is a reason that we exist today. Sometimes we lose sight of that. And it's not an easy thing just to come to remembrance about all the time, but we are where we are and we are who we are for a reason. God doesn't make mistakes and God doesn't make accidents and he just doesn't do things for the sake of doing things. We are here as part of the 21st century church for a purpose and for a reason. You've got purpose and you've got destiny. And so we begin our journey. We have to start where they did. First of all, for them to thrive, for for these four young men to thrive, they decided that, you know what, no matter what happens, we need to make sure that we stay together. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 6, it explained this. It said, um, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. There was other people chosen, but these four specifically, they, they stuck together and carried uh, the weight of what was going on around them together. And so it's no coincidence that Daniel chapter 1, verse 6 mentions them all together. They were facing this new challenge. It was a new world in almost every aspect of their life, but God did not want them to do it alone. And so when we go to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, they continue on with what's being said, and this is what it says. It says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. They said, you know what? This just doesn't line up with who I am. I don't want to take part in this. And so Daniel, he makes this commitment that he said, you know what? I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to do this because you're telling me I need to or that I should or that I have to. He said, you know what? I'm not going to defile myself with this portion of the king's meat that was given to me. And then three verses, the three verses later, the Bible speaks of the other Hebrew teenagers making that same commitment. And so Daniel, he makes this thing. He said, you know what? I'm not going to let this circumstance defile me. And no doubt that was a precedent for his friends that when when their time came, they said, you know what? We're going to stand with Daniel. And if Daniel said he's not going to partake in this, I'm not going to partake in it either. It was, it was the demonstration of his courage to stand up and say, I'm not doing this that inspired somebody else to do it. Guys in the second row, I'm going to get you to stop, okay? I want you to listen. It's our goal, or at least it should be, that we live our lives in a way that would challenge other people to take a stand for God. We need to make sure that we're creating positive peer pressure. 
that how we live our lives, how we carry out our everyday living, how we talk, how we interact with people, how we treat people should be a positive thing that creates an environment where other people say, you know what, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to take away from what's going on. I want to add and build upon what's or, what, what is already going on. And so we can skip down to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And I'll just be a few more minutes here, and um, I'll get the music team to come back in just a minute. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer, if the person beside you, if somebody that you go to church with, if somebody that you go to youth group with, if somebody in your household that serves the Lord is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I'm going to read this again. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, those of you that are living above that sin, those of you that are are able to assist with that and you've overcome that in your life, you should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. It, it becomes a little bit challenging sometimes because I feel like our human nature most of the time is to be judgmental first. Sometimes that's our first instinct. Maybe it depends on the circumstance or the person. But, but how many of you would be honest enough to say, you know what, I've been judgmental sometimes before I had all the facts together? I think we've all done that. And so what this is saying is, you know what, don't, don't judge them. Don't, don't tear somebody down because they're struggling in sin. Just because you live above that kind of sin and you could help them, don't, don't point down at them and say, man, why, why are you doing this? I, I can't believe you did that. You shouldn't be struggling with this. Did you hear what so-and-so did? No, it's the exact opposite. And it's a fight against our human nature to say, you know what, not only am I not going to judge you, but I want to help you. I want to I nudge you in the right direction. I want to be a support system so that if you're struggling with something, I'm here to help you with it. Not, not tear you down and push you down, but to lift you up and get you back on your feet so that you're living right. We must not give up on each other. We must not be judgmental. It's, it's our job to work together to help anyone in our church who might be struggling right now. And here's the reality. We all struggle with something. We all do. Because we're all human. Look at your neighbor and say, you're human. Because you're human, you struggle. Now, we might not all struggle with the same thing. We might not deal with the same circumstances or situations, but we all have challenges. We all live in sin, and we've fallen short of the glory of God, and we are doing our best to live a holy lifestyle so that one day we can spend eternity in heaven. But you know what? Sometimes we fall a bit short, and, and there's no... There's no uh, pride that should overcome you for saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. We, we can't, we got to get past that and be humble enough to say, you know what, yeah, I do struggle and I'm trying to do better, but I'm walking through a difficult season and our job as brothers and sisters, as people who should stand together more than anybody else is to not push down, but to lift up. When you know somebody is struggling, reach out to them. When you know somebody's having a rough day or, or something is going on, on in our life, send them a text, give them a call. Do anything that you can just to reach out and say, hey, 
I'm just leaning in here. Is there, is there anything I can do to help you? I, I heard you're having a rough day. I heard this happened, or I heard you're struggling with that. And, and I just want to be here to let you know that I want to help you. We have to stay together. But there are some enemies in the wild that will try to keep us from staying together. And so we got to look at just a few points that, that there's a few things, there's a few enemies that we must fight if we are going to stay together in the world and in the culture that we live in today. Music team, I'm going to ask you to come back. Number one, fight unforgiveness. Everybody say unforgiveness. This is a big one. This, this one can be a struggle for any of us. But unforgiveness, when it creeps into our life, when it, when it gets into our head, you know how ideas can get into your head and, and you know, we use the terminology in, in this generation, it becomes like an echo chamber. You're only hearing your own voice. You're only hearing the, the things that support how you want to think and what you want to believe. Unforgiveness, it, it seeks to separate you from others in the youth group. Can I, can I give you like the deepest revelation that you'll ever have tonight? Are you ready for this? Everybody ready? You're on the edge of your seats. This is, this is mind-blowing. Look, they're literally on the edge of their seats. They're so obedient. Here it is. You will have problems with other people in church. I'll say that again. You will have problems with other people in church. That is just the reality. There are going to be times that you're upset with people that are in this very room for, for a rightful reason. Maybe they said something they shouldn't have in a moment of, a weak, of weakness or, or did something wrong or, or did something that affected you. But you're, you're going to have issues with people. People right here. People in your row. People in the main sanctuary. You're going to have issues. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, it says this. I'm actually going to read verse 31. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slanders, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, here's the alternative. Get rid of those things, but bring these things into your conversation. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Listen. Forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. We must fight unforgiveness with forgiveness. And, and, and hear this. We don't forgive others because they deserve to be forgiven. That's not why we forgive people. We forgive others because we have been forgiven. Because God forgave us when we did not deserve it. When there was nothing that I could have done, there was no right words or anything that I could have said that would, would uh, equal up to me being forgiven. There was nothing I could have done to deserve it. But because God forgave us when we did not deserve it, we now forgive others. And so we need to make sure we fight unforgiveness. Everybody say unforgiveness. Number two, 
fight clicks. Everybody say clicks. This is a good word when we talk about youth groups. James chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, says this. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you, ha- how can you claim to have faith in our glorious, God, uh, glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you have favor for some people over others? For example, he says someone comes into your meeting, they come into youth, they come into your classroom, they come into your church on Sunday, and, and they're dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and you give a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, uh, you can you can stand over here. Hey, uh, there's a seat in the balcony with your name. You're going to love the view up here. You'll be all about, I'm giving you this whole row to yourself. You're going to love it. It's the best seat in the house. You, you stand over here or, or maybe you go, uh, you know what, just go sit on the floor. Uh, we don't, we're kind of full. We don't really have room for you. Um, we, we just can't accommodate your request. It says this, verse 4. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And so if we're going to stand together, if we're going to stay together in the wild, if we're going to live in this world together as a youth group and as Christians, we need to make sure that we fight cliques among us. And no one should ever feel like they don't fit in here. Nobody should ever come to Capital Community Youth and say, you know what, nobody likes me there and nobody talks to me and nobody pays attention and and nobody even acknowledges me when I walk through the door. Nobody should ever walk through these doors and say, you know what, I don't fit in here. And can I tell you this? There are a lot of students, there are a lot of kids at your school who feel like they don't fit in anywhere. And you can let them know through your actions, you know what? You fit in. This, this is a place for everybody. There is nobody that is excluded from this church. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the church of the living God. You know those people. I've walked through the halls of high schools. I know how this works. The ones that are maybe what we would say are, are weird, socially awkward, Maybe they don't talk a lot. Maybe they're always off by themselves. Maybe they're, they're always walking away from everybody and they don't want to talk to anybody. And, and maybe every once in a while they smell bad, you know? you know. You know the people I'm talking about. But those people are also people that God died for. You know, God actually values them just as much as he values you. That's, that's a soul that God died to save. And so it is our job to make sure everybody feels like, you know what? This is the place I belong. This is a place where I can come when I'm hurting. This is a place where when I come to it, I feel restored and rejuvenated. We need to fight against cliques. We fight against unforgiveness. We fight against cliques. And this is the last one I want to talk to us tonight. We fight against distraction. Everybody say distraction. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says this. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. Especially as the day of his returning draws near. We need to make sure that we stay together 
by making sure that we are also physically together in church. You need to make coming to the house of God a priority. Even when you're tired, even when you feel busy, even when you don't feel like it, you need to do your absolute very best to show God, you know what? This matters to me. Coming to church is important to me. And we need to make sure that we fight against any distraction that would keep us from being faithful to church. It's so easy. It's, it's the sport that starts out just on Tuesdays and then, oh, well, the schedule got switched to Wednesdays. It's the, the last-minute Sunday morning practice that you weren't expecting, and then all of a sudden it turns into every Sunday morning. It's the group of friends that are always asking you to hang out, and then all of a sudden you're missing prayer meeting on Friday night all the time. It just starts so simply and so subtly. It's a slow fade, and then all of a sudden you haven't been to church for weeks. And then it has turned into months. And, and then all of a sudden, just like those other things, it's like, how did I even get here? What happened? What slipped in unaware and took me away from the house of God? So we need to make sure that we are fighting against unforgiveness. Everybody say unforgiveness. We're fighting against clicks. Everybody say clicks. And we're fighting against distractions. And, and here's the result. Here's what happens when we stay together? Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. It says this. He said, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. The king, you know the story, but I'll give you the brief summary. The king, he had set up an image. He commanded the people to worship the image when they had heard the music. And, and the Hebrew teens, these, these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, you know what? We're not going to serve the image that you have put up. We're not going to offer our worship to this statue that you have made because our worship only belongs to God. And so they said, you know what? You can do whatever you want to, but we are refusing to bow. You can do what you want. You can say what you want. You can punish us, but we will not bow. So you know the story. Gets angry. They throw them into the fiery furnace, and they, they turn the heat way up, and, and the soldiers that, that threw them in, they were consumed. They died because it was so hot. And then when they looked in, it wasn't just three Hebrew boys, but it was it was four people that they saw. And not only were they they in there with somebody else, but their bonds had been loose. They were walking around free. Here's the point. When we stand together, we don't stand alone. When we stand in unity, when we stand up for what is right, when we stand up in the culture and the world that we live in, can I tell you that God is standing with you? God stands with you. And when we stand together for Him, God stands with us and for us.